This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is Myron, and you are listening to the Rye Bread and Mustard of Mariners podcast, the alternative underground back alley, underbelly, down on the docks, on the other side of the track, speak easy, dive bar style podcast that you are listening to on the Odyssey app or hey, wherever else you're getting that podcast action from. We're not judging as long as you're liking, subscribing, sharing, and all that good stuff. And listen, those same feelings go for the YouTube as well. And look, thanks for stopping by and checking out our socials. And listen, if you have something strongly worded to say, hit us up at ryebreadandmustard at gmail.com. And if you're looking for the gear, go check it out at at simply.cora on Instagram. She's got all of her stuff on there. She's got everything else you might need, you know, weddings, births, deaths. All right, that's getting a little bit morbid, a little bit down. But hey, that kind of fits with kind of the feelings we have about the 2023 season right now with the Mariners. We don't know which way we're going to go. It's good news. It's bad news. It's, uh, I, I don't know. I'm making, I'm trying to make a lot of sense of what's going on. I can't do this myself. Got to have Hanno and Edmonds come help me out. What up, Hanno? How you doing, my man? Pretty good. I'm down here at the cabin in Shoreline, not too far from you. Uh, if you have not been to this place, you got to get to it. It's, you know, off the beaten path, literally looking over the water. This time of year is amazing. I know we came here a lot in the off season, but wow, during the summertime, the cabin is a, a beautiful place to be. Nice. Good place to do a podcast. That's for sure. Good food. Yeah. Good atmosphere. Yeah, and they got air conditioning. I'm sitting right right underneath the air conditioner. It's been very hot here in Seattle. So if you don't have a Mariners lineup handy to keep yourself cool, you got to find some air conditioning. Um, Hanno, I don't know what to, what to feel. Like, you know, anytime you text me and it's Mariners stuff, I'm, it's like, it's... Uh, I just feel like sometimes we keep finding newer lows. I know that they're at 500. It's not like we're a 10 under team and everything's been terrible, but like Jerry DePoto has said on his show, there just has not been any traction this season. No, there really hasn't in this two uh, four game series that the Mariners split with the Minnesota twins, in my opinion, kind of, you know, is a microcosm of the whole season, you know, yo-yoing back and forth between, Good games, good pitching. Uh, you have your, you know, your your times where you're hitting, uh, times you're not. There's some bad base running, so uh, it's not that surprising to me. Um, this is how they played most of the year, and it's totally expected that they split this series with the uh, Twins. 
Yeah, it it is. It's it's a bit disappointing uh, because I I did feel like okay, I kind of chalked up the the Detroit loss to all right, anything can happen. Anybody can come out flat after the All Star break, just like anybody can come out flat coming out of spring training. Um, you get the big victory on Sunday, and I call it a big victory because it would have been terrible to have been swept by the Detroit Tigers after the way the Mariners finished the first half and how we felt about the first half. You know, if you go back and listen to the tacos and tequila talks, everybody that we talked to was pretty optimistic. Even the people that were like, hey, I, I don't want to go big, uh, you know, in the trade market, and I really feel like it's more likely that 2024 is our year there was nobody had given completely up on the season and everybody agreed that we were playing good we get the win on sunday you get the win on monday in game one you know by scoring what how many runs eight or nine runs in in the you know in game one and then you go into game two you have you know the debacle in the first inning uh where actually they scored seven runs on monday sorry but then uh, Tuesday, you have the debacle where in the first inning where you get six hits, you only get three runs because two guys were thrown out at home plate. Then you have game three where you just never could mount a comeback. Uh, we lose Jared Kelnick for how I don't know how long. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. And then and then you have today's win. And we've just been seeing this. Paula Abdul, two steps forward, two steps back, two steps forward, two steps back. When opposites attract kind of bullshit all season long. It it I don't know if it's more frustrating to just be already like 10, 15 games under 500 and being like, okay, well, we know what we need to go get where you are in this weird in between the margins place at 500 where we've just been on 500 island all year long so i don't know what we're doing here especially at this point of the season yeah i'll start with the positives first you know you mentioned the first couple games you know in that first game we get down early bats were ice cold um minnesota gets you know two runs there in the third inning and the m's bats are pretty cold uh but you know it was nice to see we came back with putting a big four spot up in the fifth inning. And then you mentioned again on the next game, game two, uh, Minnesota gets out to an early lead in the first and the Mariners come right back with three runs in those six consecutive hits you mentioned. And uh, in that time, uh, get two guys thrown out of the plate. One Tasker Hernandez, who just totally blows the stop sign. Uh, so Scott mentioned in his post game show that he was running with his head down which is inexcusable to me, but here nor there. And the uh, next uh, at bat, um, uh, Ty France is on second base. They send him home, and um, he gets thrown out by a good 10, 15 feet. So you got back-to-back outs, uh, the second and third outs of the innings, canned at home, and that just blew all momentum for that game. So, um, yeah. it was good to see them have some fight when they got down early. Haven't seen as much of that lately. Um, but that, that, that second game when they did have that momentum change with getting two guys, um, thrown out the plate, I think was a factor in that game. I think it was a factor in that game and frankly, a factor for a good amount of this series. 
Um, going back to the game before, you, you piled on all these runs. You know, Adcock came in there um, and got blasted after, you know, and, and nine innings not ever giving up any home runs. And then he gave up, I don't know, between that game and the next game, about 14. Uh, <laughs> we definitely see why there's the law of averages in baseball. Um, and they, they will always, it will always come back. It's like taxes or death uh, in baseball. But, uh, you know, you speak of game two. Uh, I hap- happened to be down there, and I walked in at the top of the second inning. So I missed all of this, and <laughs> there was no, there was not an- another good at bat, and not really too much of other chances to score in that game. It, it, I mean, after that first inning, um, the Mariners did not do anything offensively, and you could sit here and go, look at, look at, Wu had a bad start. Um, the bullpen didn't really stop much, but at the end of the day, if you can't put any pressure on the other team, you know, you you have no momentum from that first inning. I know that they're separate games, but come on. It was like a lot of the same, you know, and, and in game, game three, we scored all of our runs via the home run. So, yeah, no, you're right. Um, you know, to mention what I said, to give them some props. They kept fighting. They got down 3 nothing. Uh, they had, like you mentioned, a home run from Tom Murphy to make it sort of a respectable game late, uh, middle of the game to late innings in the sixth. Um, and then, you know, claw back into it with a nice two-run shot by Gino Suarez. High the game, which was his third home run in a row. He's been playing some good defense this series. It looks like the bat's heating up. And, um, you know, you kind of got things set up. You bring in Andres Munoz. Um, he struggled a little bit finding his command. Get some runners on. Um, an unfortunate pass ball. Or, yeah, I would call it a pass ball. I think Murphy should have had it um, to then give the Twins the lead. There you go. And, you know, the bullpen's been worked hard the first two games. Scott puts in the rookie who was just um, he gives up the long ball, and before you know it, you're out of the game. It's six to three. Which we were, t- you and I were talking in in game one when we had to use the bullpen like that, and then you had to get Wu out of there. I think they would would normally want to get Wu out of there earlier in game two, and then yesterday in that spot, you're you're like, this is the best that we got. Once we've, we're, this is a one run game going to the ninth. We're going to do a major league debut. And I feel for the guy, you know, he did the two things you don't want to do. You, you give up the base on balls and then you give up the big hit and then it's the game's out of reach. You know, we do get two guys on in the ninth there and we have the meat of the order coming up. Couldn't get it done. Uh, great at bat by Jerry Kelnick, but we know what happened. We'll get into that in a second. And yeah, you, you lose two games right there. And today you had to salvage the series. You get a five to nothing victory. A really great performance by Kirby. Positives. I'm going to go positive here, man. See, when he's on, he is our number one. I he he is the best pitcher on this team when he is on like this. Yeah, he is. And going back to game three, I just want to mention, you know, Luis Castillo threw 
I would say pretty well did deserve to win. You know, he had 11 K's. He went six innings. Sure. He gave up a couple solo home runs and he does that. I believe he's given up 19 now on the year home runs, which just seems like a lot, but you got to, you got to call it a pretty good start. In my opinion, he kept him off balance. Absolutely. He gives you a chance to win almost all the time, even when he's not sharp and he does. Yeah. Like you said, he's given up, few more home runs than we like, but a lot of them are solo blasts. He's not a big give up the big three run home run grand slam kind of pitcher. Yeah. And it seems like lately a lot of them have been on that change up. It's just not quite biting the way he wants it. It looks like it's not diving away from that left-handed hitter. It seemed like Minnesota stacked a lot of left-handed hitters and that ball just kind of floated up in the sweet spot. And uh, I mean, a couple of those guys really cranked him. Um, Julian from Minnesota, their second baseman rookie. I mean, he had a fabulous series for the Twins, and uh, he got—he was one of the guys that got Castillo. He did his job, like we said so many times. Uh, we feel that the Mariners' pitchers have to be perfect. He was not perfect, obviously, but he did enough to, you know, keep you in the game and uh, give you a chance. But the bats came alive way too late, if at all. Yeah, the pitching coming out of the All-Star break hasn't been, you know, perfect at all. It's been uh, erratic a bit, but these are the things and cycles that pitchers are going to go through when you're overused and your back's constantly against the wall because the offense isn't picking you up. Get ready to play hardball in the kingdom. Take me to the ballgame. I want to see the ants. Princess Tours, the vacation company, brings you the best show in baseball when the San Diego Chicken plays hardball with the Seattle Mariners and the Baltimore Orioles tonight in the Kingdom. Yeah, this Toronto series, you've been to one of these. This will be my first one, I think, maybe since the Kingdom days. I just have never around during the summer to watch the Toronto Blue Jays. I want to, I swear the last time I went to a Blue Jays game with the Mariners, Kelly Gruber was on the team. Um, That's a long time ago. I mean, if there is a must win series, this is it. And I'd, I'd almost say a must sweep series. You know, you have to at least get two or three just to tie Toronto in case you do somehow catch them in the standings so that they don't have a tiebreaker. Um, uh, as the time of this recording, we're, you know, five games out of the wild card. Uh, a big sweep right here would change a lot of that trajectory. Uh, it, But, yeah, we, we are going to have the Toronto invasion. It's going to be a big series like all of them are for the Mariners. You're going to be the visiting team in your home ballpark. That's no surprise. It's been going on for years, ever since the Kingdom days when I used to, you know, be out in the right field bleachers above that big wall. I can vividly remember, you know, the fans walking along the concourse with their Canadian flag, having fun, cheering for their team. Yeah, it's a little irritating, but, you know, as I got older, I went to a game last year with a ninja. Uh, the Mariners did really well in that series. Uh, talked to a lot of Toronto fans, Canadians, and, uh, they're good people, good fun. I enjoyed it. Um, so hopefully the Mariners show out, and hopefully uh, most of this sellout is um, at least 
respectable for the Mariners fans in attendance. <laughs> it's not going to be. It's not. It's it's not. We know it's not going to be. And I feel like with Taylor Swift in town next door, you know, a lot of logical people that know how much of a mess downtown can be. If you needed a sample size of it, the All Star Week showed you that. Uh, a lot of a lot of people that I know that typically we go to Mariners games, especially in the summer. Like I'm staying away from there. We even know Mike said it right here on the podcast. He says I, I'm going nowhere near T-Mobile Park and Lumen Field while Taylor Swift is in town. Yeah, I mean I can see that for sure. I mean traffic's going to be bad. The 520 bridge will be closed. Um, transportation will be rough and packed. Um, for sure. I can agree with him on that. Um, your, your home stadium is going to be taken over by, you know, the opposing team's fans, all the Swifties down there. Yeah. It sounds like uh, not that good of a time. It sounds more enjoyable to uh, watch it on TV. Yeah. And right now the way that the Mariners are playing, you know, fans are very skeptical about going down there and spending a bunch of money, especially if they went to the all-star game. Um, you know, that was what a week and a half ago. And you're, you're, you're already asked to go back down into the crazy town. Uh, I was down there earlier today and I already saw that parking again is going to be like a hundred to $150. You know, if you want to park anywhere decently close, um, What's really interesting about this series as well is, listen, we got Teoscar Fernandez for I don't know how long, to be honest with you. Uh, I think this series, very apropos with Toronto, for his Mariners, um, if I think his duration on the team is pretty much on the line here in the next week, starting with the team that dealt him here. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean... Kind of thinking and watching uh, this Minnesota series uh, after game three and seeing some things, I was going to come on here and say, hey, they need to shake things up. Well, they salvaged a 500 record, and I, I still kind of think they need to shake things up. Yeah, you're correct in thinking Teo or Teoscar might be one of those guys to be on the uh, up and out. Um, he did mention after the post game or after the game on the post game show, this final game of the series that. Uh, they were, um, they were. He was asked about the Toronto series upcoming, and he mentioned, "Oh, I sure hope we have a lot of Mariner fans here." So he knows what it's about. He's been a part of it. You know, the Mariners are are going with their two youngsters, uh, Miller and Wu, followed by Gilbert. Toronto's going to be throwing, you know, Kikuchi, former Mariner, Guzman, who's had their number this year. Uh, the Mariners did well against him in the postseason last year. And then Alec Manoa is coming back, uh, making, I believe, his third start after being demoted, um, having a rough start to the season. So uh, he's um, had one good start and one not so good start. So it'll be interesting to see how he attacks this Mariner team and uh, what comes about of it. Yeah, uh, I mean, for Teoscar, I'm sure – he probably didn't envision he was going to – well, maybe he did. He knew he was going to have six home games or or six away games, actually, against the Toronto Blue Jays this year. It's going to be interesting. I mean, we're not too far from, you know, the real Boo Bird night when uh, the Boo Birds were out uh, against um, – who were we playing uh, in that series? Oh, Tampa Bay. 
And then we heard some boos here in the Minnesota series, and we heard some boos in the Detroit series, and then you throw Toronto taking over the stadium in the mix. It's it's not been a good showing down there as far as the optics from what's coming out of the stadium for this team. No, you're right. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned optics, the uh, Toronto gear that was placed inside the team store, which, you know, happens. Uh, I'm sure every team does it. It was just interesting that it was put out before the season even started. You see some Mariners players, Paul Seawald and J.P. Crawford, um, mentioned that on social media. I know you were down there um, trying to find out, the bo- getting to the bottom of things. Um, what's your opinion? What did you see when you were down there? I mean, I did not see any, but I, I, I don't make such a big deal out of it. If it took like a huge section out of the – out of the store like and you were marking it then yeah i have a problem i don't have a problem with the stadium selling whatever team we're playing like a a few hats or jerseys and stuff like that because i'm of the belief of like if you don't have opposing fans and you don't have an opposing team then what's the point of sports right so i i don't feel like hey we have to roll red carpet out for an opposing team and people might get mad about that, but listen, there's been many times I've been in Anaheim, L.A., San Diego, wherever, where I'm like, you know what? My my Mariners hats are just looking nasty right now, and I wouldn't mind just picking a new one up at the game or something like that. Yeah, I could just go to the mall and get it. I get it. But, it, it you know, you, you never know, and you never know what stuff that, uh, you know, they have let's just say you're here on a trip and you're like i want to get a a hat to take home well hey i got this whatever opposing team's hat from uh t-mobile park it doesn't really bother me if i think it just bothers the mariners fans and the mariners players just because of the way that the toronto blue jays show up um are you going to call out all the stores that are on occidental because i'm sure they're selling opposing gear um but I also feel like if I'm on the Mariners, I I would have an issue with it, too. I, I have no problem with what Paul Seawald or anybody else posted. But I also feel like it is a bit of an overreaction. Yeah, I see both sides. I mean, you know, definitely I agree with you. I think that merchandise probably roves around to uh, all the different stadiums with the teams that are coming in. It's just very interesting to me after the backlash from the players and some fans that they actually pulled it during the uh, Minnesota series, but it'll be back. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just hard. I mean, the last few years, Toronto has always came in on the weekend. I'm sure the Mariners like that. Maybe, you know, nudge this, the schedule maker. Uh, we'd like to see this, you know, we get sold out crowds in our building on the weekends. It's easier for the Canadian fans to drive down or fly down from wherever they are. Yeah, it's it's it just goes back to the whole thing of, you know, how kind of tone deaf the Mariners are in certain things. This might be one of them. Them, you know, having the reputation of being on the cheap side, um, not putting forth the uh, what they talked about in the offseason about going for it, you know, just all these kind of things just add up and the frustration just mounts and mounts and mounts. And it's tough as a fan. 
if everybody was about it, about it, like Master P, about the Mariners and the Mariners, yes, their front office put the team out, like you said, that they promised, like, and building off of what happened last year, this isn't a problem. This isn't a problem. You, The stadium would be full of Mariner fans going like, no, we're not going to let the Toronto Blue Jays. But at the end of the day, it's up to the fans. So when the fans get upset about it, they have to take a look in the mirror. And so does the organization. And yes, there are stadiums. I do want to say this. There are stadiums like Dodger Stadium. I believe it's like one of them. Maybe Angels. I'm not saying that they have Mariner gear there. I'd have to double check. But I mean... I'm not against the opposing fan having something to show their team pride. Um, I think, like I said, it's, it's become a thing here and yeah, we happen to be near Canada, uh, but this doesn't seem to only happen at Mariner games. If you watch Minnesota games, you watch Detroit tiger games, you know, the, the Toronto faithful travel pretty good when uh, there's teams, especially in the northern area. The difference is, I feel like these other fan bases, and not to knock the Mariners, but they, they, they just kind of have, you know, stronger fan bases in, in the region, and probably because they are better ran teams. I mean, we're talking about the Yankees, we're talking about the Mets, we're talking about the Red Sox, we're talking about the Cubs talking about the White Sox. These are all teams that have been around for a million years through generations of generations. And I I don't know. I mean, the the whole Toronto thing to me doesn't really annoy me as much as it annoys everybody else. And sometimes it's fun when you have a stadium with a lot of opposing fans. I love it when the Mariners are hot or Seahawks. I've seen the Seahawks play in stadiums where we've taken over the place. And that just shows you the belief in what the product is on the field, I guess. And no, that, that's, that's, that's where I go back to. It's like, Hey, if, if the, if the Mariners right now, weren't just a 500 team where we don't know for buyers or sellers, it feels like for sellers. If we were taken off from last year, we're in first place by seven or eight games. We're, we're basically where the Texas Rangers are. I can guarantee you the Mariners faithful would be flooding out the Toronto fans. Oh, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think the Mariners show out when they go down west, down into your neck of the woods in California, Arizona. Uh, I see a lot of fans in Anaheim, down in San Diego, uh, especially during that giant series. You know, obviously, the Can- uh, Canada is a country. Um, most of the Toronto fans are, you know, that can't get to Toronto on the western part of the country. Yeah, they got, they got down one here. team. They got yeah, one team. Exactly. So... <laughs> I mean, it's just the way it goes. I'll be interested to hear your take after going to this series, uh, how you feel about uh, the whole situation since you're going to be actually experiencing it because it is different. It is. It, and I think Taylor Swift has a lot to do with that. that knowing that Lumen Field is going to be full of Swifty fans uh, and you schedule them on the same day and then the Mariners are – doing what they're, <laughs> they're not doing it's uh it's it's a recipe for a disaster uh, you know as far as a pr thing i mean it's it's definitely if let's just say the mariners don't take care of business here this is going to be pretty brutal oh yeah it's always brutal when you know your stadium's taken over by another team 
and uh, you're winning. I mean, like you mentioned, the football Seahawks fans travel great down to Arizona. I mean, as a Cardinal fan, I would be absolutely upset as all can be. I mean, the Hawks have played pretty well down there, and um, yeah, it would stink, but hopefully the Mariners play well this series because they have to, or I mean, they're down to their last, you know, heartbeat, whatever you want to call it, to uh, hopefully make a little bit of a push, but We'll see. The trading deadline is really close upon us, and um, they're a 500 team. I don't. I I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah. They're, they're very average I, so far this year. I mean, this series is more than just backs against the walls. This is you are on a ledge right here. You either can pull yourself back up, or you can let go. There's one or two things that are going to happen right here. This is. A series at an absolute minimum you have to win two games you have to win two games just because of who you're playing when you're playing with the trading deadline looming over here uh you know slipping away in the standings against a team that takes over your stadium i mean this could be a really really bad black eye for the Mariners, or this could be the big counter punch. It's going to be one or it's going to be the other. Yeah. And it's going to be tough. Now you're missing your left fielder uh, who got injured. I know we'll jump into that here. You know, I mean, I think it's time to, I I think it's time to jump into it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's leading the team in doubles. Uh, He's leading the team. I think in game winning RBIs Uh, has a seven game hitting streak so far has been one of your hotter hitters coming out of the break, um, has struggled, you know, coming into the break. It looks like he was coming out of it. And then for him to uh, go down, I mean, I let you know this morning when I was checking my phone and it said that Cade Marlowe was brought up. So I was like, whoa, that's big news. Um, what does that mean? Um, is AJ Pollock on the way out. What's going on? And then, then to hear right after that, uh, Ryan Divish write that Jared Kelnick's walking in the clubhouse with a boot on. I was like, oh, so that's the move. What happened? And then to think, did he foul a pitch off himself in that last at bat that was so good? I'm trying to, you know, rack my brain of it. Yeah, it was a great at bat. I was there. It was a really good at bat and even uh, a better battle from the pitcher. I mean, it was, that was, major league baseball at, at its best level right there oh absolutely i want to go over it i mean because watching it it was awesome it's what i love to watch about what i love about baseball the cat and mouse game between the pitcher i mean he got a four he started him off with a fastball uh excuse me started off with a curveball and then there was a ball then he threw a you know this guy's throwing gas as you know you were at the game hitting triple digits went with uh four straight uh, fastballs all the way up to uh, 104 miles an hour. So you're, you know, to get the count to one and two. And then you're thinking as you're watching it in the back of your head, you know, this guy's got a curveball. You're just waiting to when he's going to throw it as a hitter. At least that's how I'm thinking along. He throws it. It's a ball. Kelnick takes a timeout. And then so the count's now two and two and he gets another fastball, um, which he fouls off. And then he gets a curveball that he fouls off to go two and two. And then, you know, the pitcher makes a great pitch, dumps him a backdoor curveball to 
you know, strike him out. But it, but the process and the way Kelnick battled and all of that made it just an incredible at bat. And then to hear that he went back into the dugout or back in the tunnel, kicked a water water bucket, fractured his foot. I mean, that was the most disheartening thing for me was it was one of his better at bats the whole year. He didn't have success. And, you know, he's a guy that plays with emotion. He wound tight. Uh, he's shown the growth in that. After that at bat, that was the most disheartening thing for me to know, hear that that's what happened because, I mean, it, it could have happened at any other time. But for that, uh, it, it was a killer to me. Now, I'm going to be honest with you here, Hannah. You text me. Everybody's texting me with this information. I've yet to read the articles and look it up because my initial reaction, the same thing like when Ty France got himself kicked out of the game a few days ago. I just said, we, this is the last thing that we need, especially when it's self-inflicted gunshot wounds, so to speak. So I, I haven't really dug into it. And I was going to let you tell me more about it. But, yeah, it was a great at bat. My initial reaction is like, look at all the work Jared's done, especially with his mental game of not being, you know, so wound up and, you know, going in the hallway and breaking things. And then, yeah, he stumbles on it again. I know he had a very emotional meeting with the press today. Uh, why don't you tell me about that? Yeah, I mean – it was very emotional. Um, obviously, the Mariners knew something was up by having Cade Marlowe in the ballpark uh, today to play. So it was probably diagnosed last night after he did it, felt some pain. You know, he comes in with a walking boot. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm sure that it, it was something that was on his mind all night, hard to sleep. You know, he had to address his probably his teammates, let them know when he came in. And then he yeah, had a little sit down with the press. He had to face the music. Um, he was emotional. But what I liked about it, he was raw. He was authentic. He felt terrible. He mentioned how much he disappointed himself as well as his teammates. It, it was tough to watch, but it was nice to see. You know, we all talk so much about we want these players to be authentic, be who they are not right. be so cliche and no, i mean for sure he's old school he wears all his emotions on his sleeve the fucking guy hustles yeah, he's a um, passionate player he is he is a, he's a he's a passionate dude he's nice to the fans despite what maybe his demeanor seems like on the field i've seen it firsthand no uh, he's not a smile thing, guy and that's what's unfair i think too sometimes sorry to cut you off it doesn't mean for you to throw your back, kick a bucket, whatever, that you care more than other people. It's just we're all human and we're different and we, you know, have different personal traits. I think the most frustrating thing about it is this guy, we see how he started off this season and he went through a couple of months here where he was on a constant, you know, he was regressing and doesn't you know, blow his gas, blow any gaskets, stayed calm, got himself through it in July right now. I mean, offensively, at least in the last couple of weeks, you're riding him and you're riding forward. And 
honestly, when Tom Murphy's in there. And he has a great at-bat here. There's nothing to be upset about that at-bat at all. And then he goes and he kicks the cooler. And I guess, <laughs> not to make light of it, but come on, Jared. You throw coolers. You don't kick coolers. Uh, you grab the cooler and you chuck it. That next time, I hope he does that. I have no problem with him destroying the cooler. Uh, remember the guy that beat up the cooler with the bat <laughs> in the in the dugout? You you beat up Perez the cooler with, for the Dodgers. You, you beat it up with a weapon, uh, or you or you chuck the fucking thing on the field, you know, or you throw it on the ground. You don't kick it. No, I I, I get you. I mean, and I mean, he hurt the team. He's hurt. Yeah, a mistake. Um, Will it be the first? Was it the first time it happened? No. Will it be the last? No. It will be the last, in my opinion, that Jared does it. It's a tough, you know, lesson yeah. to learn. But you always learn from your mistakes. I do. I'm sure he does as well as whether as well as you and everybody else. But yeah, I mean, we've seen it many times. You mentioned the bat thing. I don't know if that's such a good idea either. If it ricochets off that and hits him in the face, you've seen all kinds yeah. of things when anger gets it's in the way. We've all been there. We've all done that, you know. Um, it's just really tough, and I feel bad for him. I'd rather you throw things than hit things. Just throw well, it. Remember the, remember the guy in Anaheim? He threw all the bubble gum on the field. Smart man. Smart man to show his <laughs> smart man to show his 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 frustration with things or his disapproval. He throws a bunch of bubble gum. You know, worst case is people had to go out there and pick up bubble gum. Maybe some got on somebody's cleat. Uh, you know, you don't punch lockers and you don't kick the cooler. I think is like the two things that you got to learn, got to learn here. Luckily there is no surgery needed. So maybe we do get to see him. Maybe this is also a positive spin on it. This is an opportunity for the team to pick this up and go, man, we lost one of our guys. It's he's young. If this was a, 30-year-old person doing this, I would be more upset. I mean, am I upset with that he did that? Sure. But uh, I also would be hypocritical if I would ever say that after playing sports, I've ever done something dumb like that. You know, all, all of us have. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, it heals up quick. It sounded from that they didn't really have a timetable, but I heard a few people mention on the broadcast that maybe it might be around usually maybe like a six week injury. Hard to say. Um, but, you know, I hope he's able to just sit, you know, if not in the dugout, you know, in the stands, in the suites uh, and really watch the game, um, take something from it. Watch the at-bats. Watch what all guys are doing, seeing how guys are pitched. Take something and learn from this while you're out and hopefully bring it back into your game once you're healthy. And uh, I think we'd be remiss, though, here to finish up here. Uh, you know, we always talk about on our Friday episodes that um, we like to deconstruct the DePoto show. I'd like to add into the show what Divish said uh, today. Um, I don't know if you heard what Divish had to say. He's basically was bringing up a couple of points about that. He thinks a lot of the problem is, you know, the work that players didn't do as they've, I guess, as they're getting mature or older specifically with like 
a Thai France and a Eugenio, which I kind of feels a little bit unfair. I mean, this guy played in the WBC and as of right now, definitely looking like a Eugenio. Um, and there's a lot of season left to play. So I feel like that's too much of an early judgment about basically going like he's not in possibly the right kind of shape. Uh, I could see that with Thai France, maybe um, with a Eugenio. I can't really see that. And then the second thing that, he brought up was he was talking about Teoscar Hernandez. And this is one thing I do agree is he was brought in here to Seattle and the expectations of like what he was going to be versus like what he's been in the past. He's been this accessory to like Vladdy Guerrero and Bachette and to the stars. And like maybe the Mariners put a little bit too much weight into that. He was going to make such a big difference, especially when you're, it was really just a wash for what Mitch Haniger had been doing. Um, and then I think the last thing that uh, Divish was talking about, uh, and I want to get all your um, feelings on these things, is he was talking about Julio where he doesn't feel like Julio's in that category of the wrong shape or wrong approach. It's just decision-making. And, um, you know, it, it, it was the sliders, and now it's the league's, you know, also kind of throwing the fastball by him. And uh, – I just want to hear what you have to say about those three things. Yeah. I mean, first off, I'm a big Gino fan. I'm glad to see that he's, you know, getting hot. The power numbers are coming back. Uh, he's always played a great third base, in my opinion. Made a fantastic over-the-shoulder play, uh, reminiscent of, you know, what a shortstop would make, which he used to be. I don't got too much to say negative about Gino as far as Ty goes and as far as Ty goes and uh, if he's out of shape I certainly have any right to talk about someone's weight let alone Ty France the thing that frustrates me with Ty France and it's you know he's slow but you know there's a there's fast people in this world and there's slow people in this world and that's just who he is and I'm frustrated and I really shouldn't be and then um Julio uh yeah he is decision making at the plate sure um he has chased a lot more this year uh swung at a lot more balls some of his outfield play it looks like maybe he's not calling the ball soon enough i mean it's hard to tell it's loud in there we can't see everything um the play that happened this I think it was the third game of the series, a little flare where JP goes out for Kelnick's coming in, Julio, you know, an infielder's taught to go until he doesn't, till he hears something. Well, he went for it, you know, and Julio kind of pulled up. So who knows what's going on there? I can only speculate by what I see, but yeah, I can, that's my, my point of, uh, or my thoughts on what Ryan had to say. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely not going to say anything about the uh, the weight either. I'm sitting here eating uh, nachos here at uh, the cabin. I just thought that was kind of interesting to say that, uh, that maybe like the work off the field what wasn't there. You know, I kind of think back to, I hate to bring his name back up on this podcast, but kind of sounds like the stuff they were saying about Jesse Winker uh, last year. And um like he was kind of also mentioning like maybe we don't miss so much of Jet Hanager, but maybe like that work ethic or that the attitude that he brings in there. And then I did forget one last quick divish thing. He was saying that 
he had the opinion of, listen, we don't need to have um, uh, Colton Wong, AJ Pollock specifically on this team anymore right now. Uh, it just doesn't really make sense. Um, you know, it, but also at the same time, they're not the reason why, 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 why we're, we are who we are either. Oh yeah. I can agree with that. I mean, how long are they going to go with them? You know, one's making seven, one making 10 million. Uh, we always factor that in when we talk about the Mariners and the front office, uh, they have not produced Colton Wong's gotten a, a lot of opportunity. AJ Pollock really hasn't plays, you know, maybe once a week, they say he might play a little bit more now with platooning with Marlowe. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can see that. But who are we going to replace them with if we DFAM? I mean, there's not a whole bunch of position players down the minors, right? A tough one. I mean, I see both sides of it for sure. Sure. I, uh, you know, just jumping off that and getting over to what DePoto had to say, he did say that he didn't do a great job of building this team, especially with the depth, and the depth is what's important. Kind of like one of these things of like, hey, we kind of knew this a while ago. Um, and we've talked about it. And I, I will admit I was fooled a little bit at spring training. But I also didn't see the re the regression with these other players as much, especially, you know, the center fielder with the power numbers. I, I definitely could see maybe like a tie, maybe a Eugenio. But then, you know, we've seen JP bounce back. Uh, Depoto also said that, hey, we're an average offensive team. But I do feel like when, hey, we're league average, we're in the middle with hitting with runners in scoring position and da-da-da-da-da, and you look at the data. But you got to remember, some of these outbursts that we've had, we'll score eight, nine, ten runs in a the game. Then we won't score for long stretches of time or, or a run here or a run there. So I feel like that's a little bit off. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of fans, uh, myself included, you know, and I, I'm, I, I get, I get it. You're down at spring training. We come off this big, you know, playoff run. Um, our got our young players are playing well. Yeah, you don't expect them to regress as much as they have, but it's the front office's job to uh, see that and realize that. And I mean, that's not even considering that it's also that we knew last year that we needed a couple bats and um it really they didn't do anything like that so yeah it's it's kind of funny to me that jerry brings that up now um but hey um i i, I just don't even know what to say it's like all right it's just like what are you going to do now, about it? It's a yeah, question, I guess. Yeah. Now you're going to say that when, you know, I guess you're saying that now, but you're also saying like, hey, they're only going to add within the margins, which means you're not going to see a big ac acquisition. Are you going to see a sale? Of course, he's going to be mum on that. Um, he did say that uh, there is really no update on Marco. Uh, still not throwing. Uh, when he was asked about if Wu is going to pitch, he said, you know, uh, he's going to pitch through the end of the year, but then did also say that there might be a stretch in August where we go to six pictures and still like saying, hey, this is a talented team. 
just not living up to the expectations. But I did what I didn't like in the conversation was he was also going like people just want to expect us to be like whatever 105 or how many games we've played 100 and 100 and own. It's like, no, we don't, but we did at least expect to be like five to ten games over 500 at this speed at, at this at this stage. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was expectations and, you know, these these the management needs to see how these guys can play with expectations. Obviously, they haven't played that well with expectations. My thing has always been the lack of focus or mistakes that are made on the field. Um, You know, guys running through stop signs, um, guys you know, blunder after blunder on the bases. Sure, errors happen in the game, but, uh, you know, fighting, having a good at bat, you know, competitively, fighting off pitchers, trying to go the other way, seeing what a pitcher's doing to you, making some adjustments. I mean, I guess that comes back to Scott and the uh, on-field management. I, I don't know. There's just so many things that have gone wrong this year that it's just been a frustrating year so far. Yeah, and I think let's just tread lightly on this because next week we'll we'll dig in, and especially the week after that when the deadline passes in. We're running out of time here. Um, but, yeah, let's just hope that the Mariners, <laughs> you know, can respond to, you know, be, be hang, hanging on the onto the ledge, you know what I mean, with one, with one hand. Um, I know a true optimist is like, hey, there's still a lot of baseball left to be played. Well, there's still a lot of baseball left to be played for other teams, too. So um, it's now or never. The Mariners need to start being start playing 700 baseball. That's just that's just it. They got to start winning seven out of ten. That, that's just where they're at. Yeah. Winning series like we talked about. I mean, yeah. Time to move on. I get it. Yeah. Well, thanks to the cabin uh, for this half order of nachos that is about the size of four orders of nachos anywhere else. And um, it can feed a family of eight, probably, correct? It can feed a family of eight or one Myron, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with that being said, Hanno, you know what time it is. <laughs> Beat Canada.